So we just read several of the most seminal scriptures in our tradition. I'm thinking most everyone this morning knows about uh, the blesseds or the beatitudes that inaugurate Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. That's the opening salvo he gives the crowd that day. And likely, I'm thinking, you've heard the wisdom of the prophet Micah as well, who announced, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, some translations say mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Justice, mercy, humility. By the way, Micah's words are inscribed on a building in New York. Does anyone know where that is? Jimbo, what is it? Uh, Temple Emmanuel. That's right. Right across, Temple Emmanuel is on the corner of 65th and 5th Avenue. Just across the street, across 65th Street on the southeast corner is a building that was formerly owned by the temple. <coughs> and inscribed in that, on that building, is, are the words we just read from Micah. Justice, mercy, humility. So when you cross the Park Avenue transverse at 65th Street, use that as a little spiritual discipline. Glance up and read the building, because you know you won't crack the Bible, for God's sakes. (laughs) Well, all three of these readings this morning reveal elemental components of our faith, the deep wisdom our tradition teaches. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you to take that program home now that we're printing the scriptures in the service because we don't have Bibles down here take it home and, and ponder those texts, they're really crucial to, to the uh, heart of Christianity I return to them I return to the themes that they present over and over again in my own ministry and If you've been around for a while, you will hear a familiar refrain today because I return to the theme that they present a lot. But I believe the theme bears repeating because we are so incredibly dense. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. You know, it bears repeating this theme precisely because it's so fundamental, especially here in New York City. You know, doing church in, say, Sheboygan, Wisconsin is a different thing than doing church here in the middle of Manhattan. Whether you are newly arrived in New York or have lived here for decades, chances are way better than even that you want to be successful. We likely all have this in common. The city functions like a great homing beacon for strivers of every sort. We want excellent work. We want strong, loving relationships. We want good friends. We want health. We want long life. We want great sex. We want to be highly regarded by our peers. We want to be successful. 
and we value those who are. We're enamored by the rich and the famous and the glamorous and the wise and the powerful and those who have somehow managed to make it to the top of the heap and we emulate them, hoping, hoping their success might rub off on us. We pile honors and accolades upon them, hoping those might accrue to us. We want to be around them. Actually, many of us secretly yearn to be them. I think it's hard to argue with the proposition that success is a very potent God in our land. And most of us, much of the time, worship at its altar. And that's especially true here in this city. And why not? Why shouldn't we worship at this altar? We say to ourselves, why shouldn't we strive for all we can be and have all we can have? And why shouldn't we max out our talents and abilities and turn a cool profit in the meantime? This is one of those startling, con- uh, startling aspects of a congregation like this. This congregation is rife with smart, talented, creative, driven people. People attracted to the pulsing energy of New York. You know what I'm talking about, correct? So I say to one and all, go for it. Run to the limits of your endurance and accomplish what you can. Stretch, reach, achieve. Longtime church member, Ward Smith, who was a leader here when I first came, oh, more than 30 years ago, he was fond of saying to me at that time, Steve, New York is a city of finishers. And I was 34 years old and excited that I had landed in New York, even though Christ Church was near internal collapse. He was offering me a tip. He wanted me to know what I would be up against. The city attracted high achievers, people who start the race, run it hard, and break the finish tape. He was trying to prepare me. And, you know, in retrospect, I would say that the city is also a city of beginners. That is, those with big dreams and a taste for adventure starting out. Lawyers, doctors, venture capitalists, artists, actors, producers, singers, retailers, restaurateurs, students, social workers dot-com coders, corporate business strivers of every kind, and yes, even religionists and clerics, all drawn to the city of superlatives, the city that some immodestly call the center of the universe. (laughs) Those with oversized dreams flock to the city the way paper clips rush to attach themselves to a powerful magnet. You know I've named you, right? I've got you, right? Singers all, right? Big dreams, musicians, big playing, all of you. And I admit it, that's part of the reason I love it here so much. This city pulsates with the energy of drivenness. 
It throbs with cultural expression of great passion and excellence. It also serves as a homing beacon for immigrants the world over. Even homeless people are attracted to the city. And odd to consider, ironic in a way, but terrorists were attracted for similar reasons some 20 years ago. They wanted to succeed. Where would they go but New York City? Here's the thing, here's the thing, here's why we're here. You'll notice that in Jesus' list of who is blessed, there is not a word about success. Not a word about being rich in spirit, or rich in anything, for that matter. It's the poor in spirit who get the blessing. And not just any blessing, but they get the whole kingdom of God. Within the hierarchy of all things, that's a tad sight better than the kingdom, I think, of Bloomingdale's or Wall Street or Google or Amazon or Broadway or even Park Avenue. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you when people revile you. Here's the thing. This is really problematic for adventurous strivers. It sounds sweet, right? Uh, Jesus' wisdom sounds sweet, but, but I'm thinking we're not entirely sold on it. I'm glad we're all hearing this together today, old-timers and newcomers alike, because it's hard to really hear when you're off by yourself, doing your own thing, striving mightily after your own dream. But then it also can be problematic for the church, because like other institutions in our land, the church is committed to success, and this at a time when church in the city has never seemed less culturally relevant I have a lot to say about that, actually. Because you see evidence of how the church has sold out into the culture to accommodate itself exactly to precisely the same goals for precisely the same reasons of fame and fortune and notoriety and celebrity. By the way, do you know what percentage of New York City population is in church on a Sunday morning? I just read this. Take a guess. Come on, let's hear some guesses. You heard 1%. What else? Well, I gave it away at the class the other night. You're cheating. (laughs) It is. It's 5%. 5% of New Yorkers are in church on Sunday. Speaking of cultural relevancy. You know, I've wanted this church to be successful, and I hope you do too. The thing is, from the lips of Jesus, it seems that the people who are truly able to receive his blessing are the spiritually needy, those who know their brokenness and feel it, those who understand their emptiness and their distance from true, authentic fulfillment. And I'm thinking this morning this may set up our condition perfectly. 
You know, the prophet Micah describes the spiritual conundrum this way. He asks, what does successful worship look like in the eyes of God? Are, you know, a thousand rams or 10,000 rivers of oil or perhaps the offering of my firstborn child, would that be enough to find favor with God? Would so much stuff give God pleasure if I strove after it mightily and laid it at his feet? And the prophet answers with those famous words that have rumbled down to us from three millennia ago. Three millennia ago. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. That's all I want, says God. It has been 3,000 years and that still seems both stirring and really elusive. You know, it doesn't take much hard thinking to realize that authentic justice and mercy are dependent upon the level of humility we maintain in our walk with God. Justice, mercy, humility. Walking humbly with God is the key. Walking humbly with God leads you to justice and mercy. But that doesn't sell well in our success market. It's exactly what? Perpendicular or something. Humility. Wow, what a lost cause that seems today. (laughs) Wouldn't it be refreshing to see some humility wandering around within our leaders at your place of work among your friends. The way Matthew tells the story, Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount took place not in the magnificent temple in Jerusalem from a marble pulpit. Uh Uh-oh. But on the mountainside in the vicinity of Capernaum. By the way, speaking of trips to Israel... Just whet your appetite. We go to Capernaum. We sit on the mountainside. It's stirring. Do you suppose it was the spiritual giants, the learned scholars, and successful venture capitalists who crowded the natural amphitheater to listen to Jesus' topsy-turvy wisdom? Well, maybe there were some, maybe. Maybe so, perhaps about as many then on a percentage basis, as our attending church today in New York City. But if so, then perhaps they too knew of their poverty and could identify with the poverty of others no matter the form it took, because that requires a kind of humility to recognize your own poverty, especially for strivers who are seeking riches. It's a conundrum, isn't it? conundrum. Fact is, we are more alike in our poverty than we are in our successes. As you know, one of the less noble reasons to succeed is to demonstrate our superiority over others. 
our exalted otherness. I am not like you because, you see, look at what I've accumulated. Look at what I have accomplished. Look at who I am. Yet, prick the skin of any successful individual and you will discover the genetic predisposition for death, just like everybody else. In that we are all alike. Experience suggests that often our passion to maximize our potential takes a dangerous turn in the road and becomes instead... Now, I have seen... I can tell you that this is an essential human problem that I have sensed in my own life, but I have worked it with other people over and over and over again over the course of their lives. Our passion to maximize our potential takes a dangerous turn in the road and becomes instead a frantic race to distance ourselves from a gnawing emptiness that we fear might otherwise overwhelm us if we are not worshiping at some otherwise human-made altar. That's sort of ground zero in doing spiritual work becoming aware of the gnawing emptiness that resides inside of us. That gets overlaid with all kinds of arrogant BS as a, as a way of distancing and not admitting. I've got to prove I'm worth something. I've got to prove it. I've got to demonstrate it. Not only that I'm worth something, but that I'm worth more than you are. Because I know. I'll feel better if I do that. It seems so logical, so alluring. And who would deny that success is a good thing? I wouldn't. I say we should all be successful. Absolutely. But like any other potentially good thing, it is not God. And when it is worshipped, it becomes a devil. And anyway, from Jesus' perspective and Micah's and Paul's, it does matter what we choose to be successful at when all is said and done. There's a hierarchy of values in our goals. How about, for instance, justice, mercy, and humility? Where are those things in our hierarchy of values? Earlier we heard Paul say that the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world so that no one might boast in the presence of God. Well, who brought this radical message? The learned scholar from the University of Jerusalem the temple's senior minister, the king of Israel, or how about the chairman of the board? No, it was a simple carpenter from Nazareth. Yes, he was a charismatic preacher, but he was no success story. Crucifixion was his destiny. He died as an enemy of the state. As I sat with that this week, I can tell you categorically that that was not the successful career trajectory my mother had in mind for me. 
<laughs> Strange religion makes one wonder who could possibly have dreamed it up, relentlessly proclaiming a message of hope in the midst of failure, of resurrection in the midst of death, of abundant, overwhelming blessing in the midst of many, many poverties. Sounds to me as though that would embrace just about everyone who wanted to be embraced, certainly everyone here this morning. See, what we have to do collectively is collectively confess to our poverty, to our internal emptiness, to our lack of having it all together. That's what we have to collectively accomplish here. That's part of the work. And it's hard work, quite frankly. It's very hard work. But the beautiful thing is that as we move along that path, we discover that we are met more than halfway. This message is the solid ground beneath our feet and the air we breathe. It's the music we sing. And I admit it, again, you'll hear me return to this foundational refrain time and time and time again. You should know that every time I do, it's as though I'm the one that needed the reminder. I am like you in these matters. It is best we share this together and admit it together, confess it together, because in so doing, we find our strength. Hopefully you'll forgive the self-centeredness. I figure this isn't a bad reason to, to repeat it. Not a bad reason at all. <laughs>